The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church for study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC4. And this is Secret Church for episode three. Names still good. Now, the various names of God. you got proper names, personal names, descriptive names, titles, and there's no way we could even begin to exhaust all the names of God that we see. And so what I want to do is we're going to focus mostly on proper names and then some personal names and a couple descriptive names. I want to give you just a, an overall picture of the names of God. Here we go. Elohim. This is basically El or Elohim means he is God. Elohim is actually the plural of El. And we're looking at the Hebrew language in a lot of these these words. El means God. Elohim is the plural. When this is a word, El is often used to refer to false gods. When it says gods, lowercase g, God or gods in uh, the Old Testament, that word is, is most often El. But then when it's used to refer to the true God, God of the Bible, then it's Elohim. And it's that plural. Some people say that's a picture of the Trinity. Most people say it's just a picture of his supremacy. But this is the most generic name for God, used over 2,700 times in the Bible. It's very general and emphasizes his power as creator over all things. You Look at Genesis 1.1, I've got mentioned there actually 32 different times in Genesis 1. This is the name of God that we're seeing over and over and over again. He is the creator of all things. He's the one that when, it spe- when he speaks, things happen. When he speaks, what he says happens. He has power as creator of all things, but not just power as creator of all things, but it emphasizes God's sufficiency as sustainer of all things. And you see this as this name is all over Deuteronomy, it's the people, Reminder, they're wandering through the wilderness and God's deliverance to them. You see it in the Psalms and all the dimensions we face in life and God's sufficiency in all. Psalm chapter 68, it's mentioned 26 different times, the picture of God's sufficiency. So this is a generic term, if I could use that for God. It's a picture of his, his, crea- his power as creator and his sufficiency as sustainer. Now, that's one of the most popular names for God. This is probably the most common name for God, this next one, Yahweh or Jehovah means he is the Lord. And I would encourage you maybe when you write your notes there to put all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The reason is um, in many Bible translations, including the NIV, which is what these verses are quoted from, what you'll see, and actually I, I hate this, uh, but in your, in your notes guide, it's not the case, although it is the case in the NIV, it's not there in your notes. But when you see in, in your Bible, capital L, then small caps O-R-D, Sometimes you'll see the Lord mentioned that way. Sometimes you'll see capital L, lowercase o-r-d. These are actually two different words in the original language of the Old Testament. When you see capital L and small caps o-r-d, that's Yahweh, Jehovah. When you see capital L, lowercase o-r-d, it's, it's most often Adonai, which is what we'll talk about in just a second. But Yahweh, he is the Lord. And this is the name that really above all others, God is revealing himself as throughout Scripture. And you look at Exodus chapter 3, this is when Moses having a conversation with the burning bush and God said to him, I am who I am. This is what you are said to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. That's pretty clear. 
He's showing himself as Yahweh. And the, the reason you've got Jehovah there is oftentimes Yahweh was not pronounced. The people out of reverence for the name of God were not pronounced. And so they kind of filled in the, the vowels and the consonants there and, just, and, and, and referred to this name of God as Jehovah. Exodus chapter 6, very important passage. This is God speaking to Moses about delivering them out of Egypt. And he says, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as, as, as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, here's the covenant. Listen to this. I want you to see how important the name of the Lord is in these words. There's going to be filled, what we're about to read is filled with promises, but it's bookended and saturated in the middle by the name. Listen to this. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. There's the first one right in the beginning. And I will, here come the promises. I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am, here it is in the middle, I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to Isaac, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. Then he says it one more time. I am the Lord. This is, this is God revealing himself as the Lord. You will know that I am the Lord. This is the most common name for God used over 6,800 times in the Bible. All throughout Scripture, we see him saying, I do what I do, that you might know that I am the Lord. Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, and then I think again in verse 18 in that same chapter. Remember when God led his people to the Red Sea, and he splits it in half, and he sends them through in the middle? Why did he do that? Why did he take them on this journey and, and split them in half just to show them something cool? No, he did it, Exodus 14, 4 says, so the Egyptians would see what he did. And he said, the Egyptians will see my power, and they will know that I am the Lord. Lord. They'll know that I'm the Lord. I do this that you'll know I am the Lord. This was the name that was revealed at the covenant, just like we read in Exodus 3, in Exodus chapter 6, in Exodus chapter 20. It shows more than anything his covenant relationship with his people. I am the Lord. Now, when he said in Exodus 6, as we're going to see in just a second, he said, by I didn't reveal myself as a Lord to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That doesn't mean that uh, he wasn't referred to as Lord before this point. In fact, we'll see in just a second, he was referred to as Lord back in the beginning of Genesis. However, this was a covenant name that symbolized his relationship with his people that he's making very clear here with Moses and the people of Israel. The name was revealed at the covenant. The name was revealed at critical times. Critical points in redemptive history, when God is performing mighty acts, you see there in Isaiah 43. The name, when you get to the New Testament, was revealed in Christ. You see John 8:58 there, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if you don't know the context of the Old Testament, that, that seems kind of interesting. It's like, before Abraham was born, I am. What does that mean? If I were to say that, I am, then you would be like, you are weird. What does that mean? And... <laughs> The reality is, though, when Jesus says this, he is identifying himself with Yahweh in the Old Testament. We know this because right after John 8, 58, what do they try to do? Try to stone him. He's blaspheming. He's claiming to be equal with God. And this is the picture. He's identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. That's why you see all of those I am statements in John. John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. John 10, I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection of life. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. John 15, 1 and 5, I am the vine. That's intentional. I am, I am, I am. It's all over the place. And that's why when you get to Acts 2, 36, what we 
we read just a second ago, you get to the end of that first Christian sermon, and it's summed up, and therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus is Lord. When you get, look at Old Testament faith, Old Testament faith says, confess God as Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, that's the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This was their statement of faith, basically. You get to New Testament faith, Romans 10 makes clear that faith in Christ is faith in God. So New Testament faith says confess Christ is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. At the fundamental core, knowing God is knowing him as Lord. Now the Lord, this name, emphasizes a lot of different attributes of God. Number one, it emphasizes his personality. It's the name of a person as he relates to his people. I put Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 there just as a reminder. If you remember, Hosea is the picture of God comparing his relationship to his people like a husband to an adulterous wife. And the picture is so amazing, especially in chapter 3, when God tells Hosea to go and to pay the price to buy back his adulterous wife who has turned her back on him to go after other lovers. And this is the picture that the Lord gives to say, you are my people. I am your God. It's a personal name. His personality, his goodness. Exodus chapter 34, that's the picture of the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Let me show you this. Look in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. Show you this real quick. Genesis chapter 2. I want to show you how, how some of you are thinking, well, what, what does this really matter? Like, okay, we got the different names. Why do we need to know the different names? Why do we need to know capital L, small caps O-R-D means Yahweh? Why is that important? Let me show you why it's important and how it helps us understand Scripture. Look in Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to fly through this, and you might circle them every time. I want you to see how God is referred to in Genesis chapter 2. This is when he creates Adam and Eve. He gives them instructions in the garden. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. About halfway through it says, when the Lord God, you might circle it there, Lord God, that's how he's referred to. You see Lord, Yahweh, then God is El, Elohim. So you've got his, his goodness, what we're talking about here is goodness emphasized, and his greatness. We've talked about Elohim, his greatness, his power, his creator of all things. So you've got his goodness and his greatness there, the Lord God. Then you get to verse 5. No plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. Verse 7, the Lord God formed the man. Verse 8, now the Lord God planted a garden in the east. Verse 9, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Verse 16, and the Lord, com Lord God commanded the man. Verse 18, the Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. Verse 19, now the Lord God had formed out of all the ground. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Over and over again, you see that God is mentioned as the Lord God. You got both these names together. You get to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it's the same thing. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Now watch this. He said, the serpent said to the woman, did God really say? I want you to notice how Yahweh is dropped here. This is the serpent, the adversary, tempting Eve, bringing the first sin into the world. And he drops it. He says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 3, Eve says back, but God did say. Verse 5, for God knows what, what, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
And then you get to chapter 3, verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord after sin had happened of the Lord God. Verse 9, but the Lord God. Verse 13, then the Lord God. Verse 14, so the Lord God. So the Lord God, that picture's back. You see that in the middle. Now, why is that so important? Don't miss it. This temptation, the first sin that's coming into the world, is when the adversary says, God has power, but he is not good. He doesn't love you. He doesn't know what is best for you. Isn't this a picture of sin? You know what's best for you. God has power and he's keeping you from what's best for you. And you see that even in the temptation. And the beauty of Genesis chapter 3 is after sin enters the world, we still have a picture of a God who is good seeking after his people. The Lord God is going after Adam and Eve. That'll preach right there. You need to know, you need to know why these are so important. It emphasizes his goodness. Next, it emphasizes his power. This name emphasizes his power, the Lord, his power, and his authority. And this is particularly significant. Well, you look at Leviticus chapter 18, I've got mentioned there. He's given commands and he says, I'm the Lord your God, so you must not do as they do in Egypt where you used to live. You must not do as they live in the land of Canaan. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. Keep my decrees and laws. God says this because he has all authority. And this is particularly significant when you get to Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. And this name of the Lord is applied, attributed to Christ. Therefore God exalted him and gave him the, high, exalted him in the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is key. Ladies and gentlemen, you do not make Jesus Lord of your life. He's Lord of your life whether or not you want to make him that or not. He is Lord. The question is not, is he Lord? The question is, have you submitted your life to his lordship? Forgive us for thinking, oh God, that we can make you Lord. You are Lord. You are King. You are Creator. You have all authority. And every single person in this room will one day bow at the feet of Jesus and call him Lord. And the question is, will you do it now or will you do it when it's too late? He is the Lord. He has power and authority. And finally, it emphasizes his presence. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? God is close to us. All right. He is Elohim, God. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord. Next, he is Adonai. Now, I mentioned this. This also means he is the Lord or master. And the picture that you've got here is when you see a capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And the picture is God having ownership, lordship over all things. Really emphasizes his sovereignty, which we'll unpack in depth later on tonight. But Adonai emphasizes, well, two main things. Number one, Adonai emphasizes complete sovereignty in God. Now, I want to show you this. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. This is another one of those instances where I want to show you the difference between why, why this is helpful when we're studying the Bible to know these different names of God. Look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And you got, I want to show it to you in your Bible, and you might be able to mark the difference between capital L, lowercase O-R-D, and then capital L, small caps O-R-D. And you look at verse 1, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Capital L, lowercase O-R-D. That's not Yahweh. It's Adonai. And Adonai is more like, in a sense, it's more like a title for God. If you got Adonai and Yahweh, picture Yahweh as the name of God, Adonai more as a title for God, kind of like President George Bush. 
president's his title, George Bush is his name. That's kind of the picture you've got here, the differentiation between the two. And it's key. When you look at Isaiah 6.1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah had been a great king for most of his life, had followed the Lord, and the country had prospered. The people of Israel had prospered. But near the end of his life, he turned away from God. And, uh, and, the guy who, and then he died as a result of that, and the guy who took over after him was not doing a very good job. Confusion, anxiety. It was running rampant among the people of God. They didn't know what to do, where to turn. And Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I looked up and I saw the Lord. I saw the sovereign one. Isn't it good to know that when confusion and anxiety is rampant in our lives, we don't know what's going on around us. Isn't it good to be able to look up and see that the Lord is still on the throne, that he is alive and well. When kings die, he lives and he reigns. He's not surprised by what happens. He has complete sovereignty over all things. That helps us understand Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. Then you get down to verse 3. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. That's Yahweh right there. But then you get down to verse 8, and the commissioning comes in. Then I heard the voice of the Lord, capital L, lowercase r-d, the voice of Adonai, the sovereign one, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So Adonai emphasizes complete sovereignty in God and second, complete submission in man. Complete submission in man. This is when Isaiah submits. When the Lord calls, you go. You've sacrificed the right to determine the direction of your lives. Those who worship Adonai, if he owns all things and he's sovereign over all things, that means those who worship Adonai are stewards. Or those who follow Adonai are stewards. I draw your attention there to Joshua chapter 5. When you look at this, Joshua is uh, right outside of pagan Jericho. He is about to deliver the, or lead the people of God into their first major battle in the promised land in Joshua chapter 5. You can imagine, he's very nervous. He's leading the people of God in this first major battle. And what happens is he's wandering by himself one night. He sees a strange man standing in front of him. And Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. Don't miss this, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Yahweh right there. As commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and said, what message does my Lord Adonai right there have for his servant? And the picture is, don't miss this. You think about it. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes. You're the leader of the army of the people of God about to go into this first battle. You meet this strange character. You say, who are you for? And he looks at you and he says, I am commander of the army of the Lord. This is God revealing himself to Joshua through this picture. And Joshua realizes a very significant point in his life. He realizes he's not the leader of the army. God is the leader of this army. And he realizes as the leader of the people of God, he is still second in command. And this is, this is why he bows down and said, what message does Adonai have for me? I am a servant. Everything that I do, everything that I have, all my leadership has been entrusted to me by you, and I am second in command to you. This is a good reminder to every spiritual leader in this room, you are always second in command. To every man in this room who's leading your family, don't forget you are second in command. You are not Lord over your family. He is Lord over the family. And your job is to be on your knees asking, what message does my Lord have for his servant? This helps us to see this. Those who worship Adonai are stewards, and those who worship Adonai are servants. This is 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David says, you see the very end, you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. You have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. The picture is David is overwhelmed by the fact that he is a servant of Adonai. El Elyon means he is God most high. This emphasizes God's power. What happens is, this is in Genesis chapter 14, uh, 
Sodom and Gomorrah get into a battle and they lose. And Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, is taken away in that. And so Abraham gets his pals together and said, let's go get Lot back. And so they go and they, they win a battle and they bring Lot back and they bring all the, the goods and the people back from the, the defeat of Sodom and Gomorrah. What happens when he comes back, he meets two kings. One of them is Melchizedek, the king of Salem. He's a guy who confuses us really throughout Scripture. And then you've got the king of Sodom. And what happens? is in this conversation with Melchizedek, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. That's a whole other story. But then the king of Sodom comes to Abram. And listen to what happens. Middle of the way through this passage you've got listed here. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. So he said, keep the goods for yourself. All the goods, all the spoils of war, you can have those. And there's a lot of goods that he's talking about there. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord. Here it is, El Elyon, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. The picture is... Abram says to the king of Sodom, my God is most high, and he owns all things. And I'm not going to take one thing from you so that you would be able to say, you gave this to me. God owns everything, and what I need, he will give to me. This is a con picture of confidence in El Elyon, is the God most high. It's a picture of the fact that God alone is high and exalted. El Elyon, that's what it literally means, high, uh, highest, uppermost. And you see this in Daniel chapter 4. This is a great, great verse. This is from the lips of a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar. Listen to what this pagan king says. It says, I raised my eyes. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the Lord and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? You got a pagan king praising God as El Elyon, God Most High. He alone is high and exalted. And second, God alone is able to meet all of my needs. Ladies and gentlemen, if this God possesses all things, then we need nothing from this world. If this God possesses all things, then we need nothing from this world. They remember that God was their rock, that El Elyon, God Most High, was their redeemer, Psalm 78. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.